You're listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believer's Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and knowledge of God's people. My name is Tyler Jones. I'm your host. Thanks for listening in, whoever you may be and wherever you may be. May the Lord bless this podcast to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth. On the podcast today is Jason Rowland. He's the senior pastor and one of our elders at Believer's Baptist Church, and another of our elders, Philip Castleton. Um, and for this month, we have decided that we are going to be um, in honor of the anniversary. Instead of doing questions and answering those questions, we're going to uh, just kind of speak to some of the more misused, misunderstood, or misapplied stories within the Bible. So with that, Jason, we'll go to you to talk about Gideon and the Fleece. All right. This is one of those, uh, again, commonly misunderstood stories, misapplied, and I have a personal testimony as to how I used this story wrongly in my own life. Okay? So um, this was um, a time when I wasn't as biblically literate as I am now, and uh, I don't know that I'm understanding everything in Scripture. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying there was a time when my spiritual life was less than it is now. And um, this was about 20, almost 25 years ago. Um, it was at a time, though, when uh, I was dating Stacy, my wife. And she is younger than I am by 12 years. No jokes, please. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I'm 33, she's 21, and yep. um, her dad had told her, you cannot get married until you get done with college. So we're about two years into college, right? Um, and, and you're trying to convince her to drop out, right? Yeah. Be done with college. <laughs> yeah. Be done with college. <laughs> Just get your associates. <laughs> and so, no, and, and, you know, I'm to the point where I'm like... I can't wait two more years. I can't wait for four years of uh, this. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but you can't imagine what they might be. Can you imagine waiting seven and then getting the wrong woman? Wow. That would be bad. (laughs) So, And having to work for her dad. Right, right. (laughs) Who cheated you. I know. (laughs) But that's the point. This dad in my story, I'm going to go ask him if I can... Ask Jerry Stacy to marry if I can have his permission for us to marry before she graduates. And I'm in Greenville, Texas, and Stacy lives on between Greenville and Farmersville, Texas, in a little place called Wagner, a little community. So I had made up my mind, I've been thinking about it for a long time, and so I made up my mind on this day to drive from Greenville. I don't know why I was in Greenville, but I was going to where her dad was at their house because I knew he was home that day. And so as I'm driving and thinking about it, I say to God in a prayer, because I'm really nervous about this, and and I don't know that it's going to go the way I want it to. i got to ask a question. You don't have a trailer full of sheep or anything, like a bride price, do you? (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Okay. No. Um, But I'm really nervous about asking because I just feel, feel like... This is not going to go the way that I want it to, right? So I say, okay, Lord, if you want me to do this, because there's a, a railroad track between Greenville and where Stacy lived at that time, and 
Lord, if you want me to do this, let the track be clear of no train, and I could just go right over. And you knew it was an abandoned railroad track. Right? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. The test was that it is a frequently oh, okay, used okay. Uh, railroad track. Um, trains are on it constantly at that time. Um, and I said, but Lord, if you don't want me to go, if this is not a good time to ask, mm-hmm. um, then let there be a train and stop me. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there was no train, and the rest is history. Yeah. We've been married for 23 years now. Um, but that was a misapplication of the story of Gideon and the fleece. That was saying, okay, God, I'm going to put this awkward test out here, and you're God. So if you don't want me to do a certain thing, yeah. you can stop me right now. Yeah. And you can use a train to do that. If I have to stop on a highway and wait for a train, that will be my sign. That's the evidence that I have the answer to my prayer. Yeah. That was not right. That was wrong in doing that. Uh, God in His grace allowed me to wear my, marry my wife and um, had um, been blessed by her and her dad, who was willing to let us get married um, early, um, but it wasn't because I put God to the test. Mm-hmm. Now, there's different ways that people have understood the story of Gideon that we find in the middle of the book of Judges. Um, there have been understanding or misapplication um, that this is, again, a story in which we could put ourselves in and we can put God to a test to get a certain answer. Or there's been other ways that it's been misunderstood. Uh, for example, God sees the best in every man because <laughs> Gideon is the weak and the smallest of uh, his tribe. We'll read that in just a moment. Um, idols are nothing. An idol, the idol of Baal is uh, prominent in the story of uh, Gideon. God is willing to help increase our faith. So we put him to the test, and God increases our faith. Or, let God rule your life, not men. That's pretty reasonable application. I'm, I'm not sure that um, it's always best from the book of Judges and the story of Gideon. But whatever applications that we have been accustomed to normally have been man-centered leaving out the glory of God, leaving out the story of redemption. So Gideon is a man who lives in the nation of Israel. God has brought judgment on the nation of Israel, and it's a group of people called the Mennonites who are oppressing the Israelites. They're Mennonites? I think so. I'm I'm joking. Oh. Are you sure they weren't Amish? <laughs> well, I get them confused Wrong, all the time. Confused, yeah. no, the people of Midian. <laughs> oh, Midianites. Midianites. Oh, I thought you said Mennonites. <laughs> oh, uh, no. I, I may have, but I didn't intend I to say. I thought you said Mennonites, too. Yeah, oh, did that's I? why I was confused, because okay. I knew they made furniture right down the yeah, road from me. Yeah, we have a Mennonite community yeah, here. I, so. Oh, I well, sure. I didn't mean to disparage the Mennonites. The, the people from Midian, uh, the Midianites. Because <laughs> I thought the Mennonites, they'd follow Minosine. Or oh, whatever, okay. Simon Minnows or whatever his right. name was. Yeah, well, sure. anyway, these people are <laughs> oppressing um, the nation of Israel. So God um, is going to raise up a deliverer, a judge, 
and he will be the rescuer for the nation of Israel. And we see this as a pattern throughout the book of Judges. It happens 12 times. The people are oppressed. God raises up a judge um, because the people cry out, and so then God redeems them. And then for the life of that judge, it seems that the people are repenting and following the ways of the Lord again, but then they eventually go back into their pagan ways, and so God brings another nation to bring oppression, and we see that cycle. And so this is one of those cycles, and Gideon is just uh, an ordinary man. In fact, he says at one point, uh, please, Lord, um, how can I save Israel Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, one of the tribes of Israel, and I am the least in my father's house. And so he was nobody important, nobody significant. But yet, this is who God is going to raise up. So God, the angel of the Lord, which is probably a Christophany, that is a Christ, Christ coming before his incarnation. And... um, uh, the angel of the Lord speaks to Gideon. Gideon offers his excuses that I just read, found in Judges chapter 6, verse 15, where he said, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? I'm the least in my clan, and I am from the weakest of the tribes. How can you use me? Why would you use me? Moses did the same thing, by the way, uh, in chapter uh, four of the book of Exodus, chapters three and chapter four. But here, the Lord said to Gideon after he offers his excuses, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Now, typically we think the sign is about the fleece and it will be. But this first sign is Gideon bringing out his offering. He put meat in a basket. He poured broth on it or put broth in a pot and he put cakes of bread on on a particular place and ask God to show that he was truly who he was by doing something miraculous. And so God consumed the offering by fire. Fire sprang up from the rock on which the offering rested and was consumed in the flames and the angel of the Lord vanished from Gideon's sight. So Gideon then knew exactly what God was going to do. He was going to use Gideon to rescue, be the deliverer, to be the judge for the nation. But Gideon is still still fearful. And so we come now to chapter 6, verse 36. And Gideon says to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand. So 
So he's going to put out this fleece as a test to see if God really was going to be with him, which God had already said he was going to do. So what we have to know, first of all, is that Gideon knew God's will. This is not a test to determine God's will. Mm -hmm. This is a test of lack of faith. It is a lack of understanding and believing God for what God said he was going to do through Gideon. So what we need to understand is when we try to put God to the test, um, that Gideon already knew what the will of God was here. Yeah, it might have even been, you know, that Gideon was trying to talk God out of it. Right? Right. I mean, because uh, we often know, like I said, the Bible will be very clear about something, right? You know, here's what you should do. Here's what you shouldn't do. That was clear. And yet we, we put out fleeces, you know, right. sometimes. Not not in your case, but in other cases we do. And a lot of times what we're hoping to do is get some kind of uh, verification uh, that I can do something that Scripture prohibits or I'm not responsible to do something that Scripture commands, right? I'm right. looking for a way out, right. hoping that God will um, change his mind. Or, or maybe uh, circumstances will just give me a sign right. you know, right. that, that relieve me from uh, some kind of duty. Right. Circumstances are never a good sign. No. I mean, they could be used by God, and I think that that's part of it. But um, I think that we put too much uh, weight on circumstances sometimes. And, and people mm-hmm. say to me all the time, um, well, if God doesn't want me to do this, um, then he'll stop me. He'll mm-hmm. do something to stop me. Well, no, that's not necessarily true. Has God already determined his will in his word? Mm-hmm. So um, if God doesn't want me to get this divorce, he'll stop me. We have a prescriptive word, right? right. Yeah. So no, um, then you can't say... That if God wants, don't not want me to get this divorce, he'll stop me. If you're doing an unbiblical divorce, mm-hmm. this is just an example, mm-hmm. uh, because God has already prescribed. He's already determined his will for you, and divorce is not that option yeah. in this case. So Gideon, back to our story, knows what God is going to do, or God knows the will of God. It's been declared by um the angel of the Lord, and yet he wants to test it. And he puts the fleece out on the threshing floor, and he wakes up in the morning, and the the ground is dry, but the fleece is wet. Mm -hmm. Now, fleece would be wool that has been sheared off of a a sheep. And so it would be natural that the dew would still be in the fleece uh, if even the ground had dried out. Mm -hmm. I think that's why Gideon wakes up in the morning and he rings out the fleece. And he's like, well, that didn't make any sense. Of course it has water in it. The dew is still collected in the fleece, Mm -hmm. even though the ground is dry. So I got to go back and do this again. And, And so Gideon says to God in verse 39 of chapter 6, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and all on the ground would be wet. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, 
and all the ground was wet. So that's I, that's why I think that he does it twice mm-hmm. because he realizes the first time, well, that wasn't a test at all. That that that's just natural. Uh, condensation and humidity and temperature and all those work together and this fleece is going to be wet but but if the fleece is wet dry and all the ground is wet and it and it it, it is dry in the midst of this dew then that is a supernatural sign for Gideon mm-hmm. he's thinking this and and sure enough God does it for him out of mercy, mercy. right out of grace, and God then uses Gideon to actually deliver from the enemy and the oppression. And you know probably the rest of that story that we find in chapter 7 where he, God whittles the army down and the army surprises the Midianites um, at night and they begin to panic and kill one another. You know, speaking of the rest of that story and in the context of misunderstood or misapplied stories, inevitably the rest of that story is always preached that um, the reason God chose the ones that he did was because they were ready to fight. You know, they, they leaned down and they scooped the water up and they were attentive and they were watching. The Bible makes none of that. It says none of that. Right. He just whittled it down to 300 to make sure that the battle would be clear that God is the one who won it. Right. God won the battle. He did it with a bunch of people. Or, well, actually, very few people, 300. And he did it with 300 people and some jars and candles. I mean, right. that's how he beat them, right? right. So uh, the whole point of that story had nothing to do with he picked the men who were ready to battle. If you're only spiritually ready, then God will choose you. That's the way that I hear that preach. Yes, and that say, is. That's yes. not what the text says. Right. The text makes no a point to why he chose one over the other. All he was doing there was saying, this is the particular group, Gideon, that you need to go with. Right. And and the point is that God can say by few or by many mm-hmm. that that God is um, certainly aware of his people and going to rescue his people. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, he's going to rescue them from sin, death, and hell. In the person of Christ. Right. Right. And so, again, it's it falls within our understanding of the story of redemption as pointing to something greater. Gideon is a type... And if you know the rest of the story of Gideon, you know that he fails. Mm-hmm. That he becomes a failure as a type. And so, again, the reader is left with, well, where's the one who's going to come that's going to fulfill what is necessary to kill my sin? Well, this is, yes, yeah, the, the context of the Old Testament is over and over and over and over. Type, 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 failure, 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 right? Yeah, right. And this is why Jesus comes and he actually succeeds in everything that these other men always failed in. Right. You know, and, um, and he actually accomplishes the, the ultimate redemption right. for his people. So then, again, context becomes important um, before the, what happens when we come to the story of Gideon is important, what happens after. Also, um, the idea of the whole story of redemption, how it's unfolding, mm-hmm. remembering that Jesus is the main character of the story. It is God's story of redemption. So we don't read ourselves back into the story. Uh, we're careful to not bring our presuppositions uh, into the story and reading our modern day biases mm-hmm. and um, reading the popular interpretations back into the story. Um, 
it, it's also important that we don't ignore what the Bible says elsewhere. So what does the Bible say about signs in the New Testament? Well, yeah, the, the thing is, is I think in one of the most popular ways that this thing is taught, or, or, or the way we understand it, is that, um, that as if it's okay um, to set uh, to test God, to ask Him to reveal His will outside of the Scripture, outside of you know what, how He's chosen to reveal it. Yes, right. We we ask for signs and such, and um, and we can't if we read Judges six and read uh, the the idea of putting out a fleece as normative, uh, we do an injustice to the text. If we read it as even um, acceptable we do an injustice to the text. Yes. I think Gideon was sinful in doing so. Yes. He had plainly seen um, um, God who chose to reveal himself through the fire of the rock, right? right? He had made it very, very clear who he was. Right. And um, and yet, um, I think that Gideon was looking for a way out. Nevertheless, he didn't get it. But but God, uh, you know, condescended uh, and, and in mercy... Undeserved, um, went ahead and and opened his eyes and 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 gave in to some extent this this idea of of setting on a fleece and fulfilled for Gideon his desires, but it says in the New Testament in Matthew sixteen and Matthew twelve both times we have people coming to Jesus asking for him to do signs right and he says a wicked and evil and you know an adulterous generation, an evil generation seeks after signs. A perverse generation. Yes. It, it is evil to seek signs, uh, you know, to not trust what God has revealed and the way that God has revealed, you know, um, to seek that. He says, the only sign you're going to get is the sign of Jonah, right? And the point is, he goes on to say um, that just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, and he was spit out on dry ground. Christ was going to be um, in the grave for three days, and then he was going to be resurrected. He said, if you want a sign, the resurrection is your sign. That's the only sign you're getting. Right. Trust in the resurrection. In fact, I, I heard a podcast. Um, you can Anybody who's listening to this can go back and figure out when we recorded. Because I listened to a podcast last night um, put out by um, Whitehorse Inn. And they actually asked. They were at the National Religious Broadcasters Organization, right? right. This is uh, religious broadcasters, believe, people who put out and produce radio and TV programming for uh, for Christian programming. And they asked, why is Christianity true? And every single answer involved something subjective like, well... I can feel it. I this. I that. I My know. Experience. I have. You know. I, I see the change in me and all this stuff. Not a single one said Jesus came. He lived. He died, and the tomb is empty. Wow. Not a single one. The sign that we have that it's true is that the tomb is empty. Right. If you seek any other sign, the Bible says you're an adulterer, a spiritual adulterer. You're seeking something that God has offered not to give, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should trust in the fact that the resurrection of Christ from the dead is enough. It's enough. It's the only thing that you need to know is that dead people, in our experience, do not rise from the dead. And Jesus did. 
Right. So he that's the only sign you get. So we have the New Testament testimony that seeking signs is 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 evil. And we even have the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, where the rich man um he his in his thinking, um, you know, he's he's being tormented. He asked to be relieved to some extent um with some water. But then he says, send somebody back from the dead, because my brothers, if that someone would come back from the dead, they'll believe. And the point um that that is told him there is that no, he has the he has Moses and the prophets. He has he has the Old Testament. He has the Bible, right? They have the Bible. Mm. If they won't believe the Bible, they won't believe even if someone comes back from the dead. When we seek for signs, it's not to confirm anything in us. We seek for signs because it satisfies our flesh, right? The the things you see on TV where the pastors um and, and I, I think. Very few of them are well-meaning. I think most of them are wolves. But when you see this stuff on TV all the time about how their their ministry was confirmed with signs and miracles, and people just need to see the signs and the miracles, no, that's a bunch of people who are looking to satisfy their flesh. They have the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Right. That's the only sign they're getting. If you don't believe that, you won't believe even if someone was raised from the dead. So we go back to our story with Gideon and the fleece. We shouldn't think normative that we can test God in that way and seek for signs. We shouldn't. God does. He owes us nothing in that regard. He doesn't have to show us anything. He has explained who he is and that he is. And even in creation account, we can look outside and recognize that there is a God who is eternal and powerful and we're not him. Right. And and he has raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and that's the sign we're getting. And he's graciously given us a written revelation yes. of himself. Now, the problem is we don't trust that written revelation. We It mm-hmm. goes back to a sufficiency of Scripture issue. Sure. It goes back to an inspiration of Scripture issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes back to our really believing God and his word. Yeah. And that, well, and while we're looking for a way out. Right? right? I mean, this is it. We read the scriptures and it says X, Y, and Z, and we go, hmm, you know, X and Y, I'm okay with, but Z, I'm not so sure. Man, if, if, if God, if you really want me to do Z, or you really don't want me to do Z, whatever it is, well, then just show me. And we're hoping that, um, that you know, it's raining on that particular day, you right. know, or, or whatever the case, whatever the sign we ask right. for. We're hoping that circumstances align in such a way, because we don't believe in God's providence or sovereignty either, right? right? That, um, that, uh, that it'll relieve us from some responsibility. I mean, we ask for these things because they satisfy us or they relieve us in, in our own minds sure. of some responsibility. And it is, it's evil. It's yes. one that says I mean, I was looking for relief from my nervousness and my fear to go talk to my future father-in-law about whether I can get married now or not. And I'm like, why do I have to go ask him? But anyway, that's the, that's what I'm getting to relief, trying to seek relief from if a train is across the track, which was ridiculous. Yeah. It was even worse. It's like if it had been an abandoned railroad track and you know that, and yet you still going, if there's a train on there, then I'll know it's a sign from you that I'm supposed to do it. Right. (laughs) There hadn't been a train on there in 20 years. Yeah. That's the way we live. Live in Death Valley, you know, and we yeah. say, Lord, if it rains 18 inches today, then I'll know it's your will, you know, <laughs> and that's the kind of mentality we have, right? right. Speaking uh, of that, you know, um, in his delightful little book that's called Found, um, God's Will, um, uh, who is he? John MacArthur, oh, MacArthur wrote okay. Found, God's Will, Okay, I'm sorry, and it's a great little thin little book that talks about how do we know God's will, because that's that 
is the issue. Yeah, you know, is. that's why people are looking for a sign and looking for a way out or uh, a definite kind of answer. But in that little book, John MacArthur gives us some patterns that, that we can consider when we talk about knowing God's will. And he says in that little book, um, are we saved? Are we spirit-filled? Are we sanctified? Are we submissive to authority? And are we willing to suffer for Christ in a hostile world? In other words, that is God's will, that you be saved, that you be spirit-filled, that you be sanctified, that you're submitting to authority, and that you suffer. Mm-hmm. That That's the will of God for every Christian. Now, suffering can be different degrees, yeah. yeah. But but th- those are the things that we see explicitly in Scripture, written for our understanding of God's will. So you delight yourself in God's ways. You delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of His heart, of your heart. Um, and it really is His heart. Well, that's the interesting thing about that text, is most everybody reads it as if God, if you delight yourself in God, then all those fleshly desires of your heart, God will satisfy. But it begins with, if you delight in God, right. meaning that if what will satisfy you is God, then He'll give you Himself, which will satisfy the longing of your heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, which would, goes back to the Beatitudes. But yeah, that's another yeah, but that's it's crazy because they, they don't ever read the first one. <laughs> they read the second part and think, "Oh, see, well, God's going to give me the deepest longing of my heart, which is, um, you know, money, um, yeah, money, <laughs> or or you know that particular, Safety. yeah, that woman or that mm-hmm. man or or whatever, right? That's what. No, 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 no. He's saying if you if you can find satisfaction in Christ alone, then He will be the satisfaction. That he that he provides. Uh, it's, right. it's. So if um, if I walk out of this recording room and there's money laying in the hallway, I'll buy lunch for you guys. <laughs> if there's not, then you're on your own. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. That, that it never works because there's money in the hallway every week, and you still find a way out. <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, thank you uh, all that you are all that are listening. We appreciate you take the time that you would give um, some uh, thought to these things, and, and uh, may this be helpful and encouraging to you in your spiritual life. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast. If what you've heard today has been helpful to you, please subscribe. On behalf of the elders of BBC, I invite you to a worship service at Believer's Baptist Church this coming Sunday. The Bible study hour begins at 9.15 and the worship service begins at 10.30. Grace and peace. Peace.